Are you looking to pursue excellence and take your success to the next level? You're in the right place. Welcome to Excellence Mindset with your host, Ryan James Miller. All right, welcome everybody to another episode of the Excellence Mindset Podcast. Uh, I'm fired up today because I have an opportunity to share some time with Patrick Ward, and uh, I'll, I'll introduce him in just a minute. But Patrick and I, as as many of my guests have uh, been on uh, on the podcast so far, uh, was an introduction through LinkedIn, and uh, I guess uh, this is a great time to say that if you're not there now and you're not uh, spending time investing time into connecting with people, getting to know people, creating some content, and maybe at some point we'll talk what, what that even is all about. Uh, you're just, you're missing a huge opportunity. There's a lot of people out there right now that are, um, uh, that are uh, doing well to invest into that and reaping the benefits. And we're seeing tons of courses being produced. And so I just think there's a lot of great things happening. And so if you're not there, you're missing out. And one of the people that you're missing out on is Patrick, uh, because, uh, quickly after we are shortly after we connected, uh, there was just something that was just so great about, uh, who he was and and the type of content he shares and so I just I got a really good sense of him uh, based upon connecting to him really quick and we uh, grabbed a, a phone call and got to know each other a little bit better and it was just super duper cool and so I'm really excited to have him today um, by uh, by a very basic form and function uh, uh, his bio says that he's a marketing manager at Dogtown Media and uh, they develop mobile apps uh, they're out in Venice Beach and uh, he also created this really cool uh, video series that's on LinkedIn called Words with Ward. We're going to get to talk about that. He says he's a writer by trade, and I know he's worked in plenty of industries, and he comes all the way from, I almost don't even want to say it because as soon as he talks, we're all just going to know, but he comes from Australia. And so I'm really excited, Patrick, to have you on the Excellence Mindset podcast. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me, Ryan. <laughs> All right. So I got you, I got everybody super excited. You know, sometimes you set the bar really high and you're afraid because you don't know if people are going to like what you like as much as you like it. And yet I just know that you're going to deliver really, really well. So I don't think I could even set it as high as, as I should have. Um, so, you know, bio is one thing, right? Marketing manager, uh, that you write, that you've created this video series, but someone meets you on the street. Uh, who who do you typically tell people you are and kind of what you do? Yeah, I think really, if you sum it up in one word, it's risk taker. And I think that embodies my entire philosophy of why I'm here in America. So for those who don't know, my story is that I was born and raised in Australia, you know, my whole life. I went to school there. I even went to university there. And I had all my friends or 99% of friends, I would say, in Australia. I had all my family are still there with the exception of one uncle who's in London. And I even had a job lined up like that I was doing at the time. And I just said, you know what, guys, I'm not feeling it. And I decided to venture out to America. Everyone said I was crazy. They were like, you're going away from your support networks. You're going to a country where you don't even have a job lined up. And why are you doing this? And I just simply said, well, because I want to test myself. I want to challenge myself. And <laughs> that, that idea of you know being worried of failure, that's literally what I thought. I thought, okay, I'm going to go to America and the worst possible thing that happens 
is this doesn't work out and I have to drag myself back to Australia six months to a year later. And that didn't happen at all. But if that's the worst that could have happened to me, then for me, that was literally the the only course that I could take because I got very scared. And I want to share a little something of why I got scared because I was in this job. I was a copywriter. I was, you know, making good money. It was a, you know, wonderful workspace with wonderful, you know, co-workers. But there was something about it. I was going to be this same job for the next 10 years. I looked around and everyone else had gone into it after college and were in the same place. And that kind of stagnation, that's really scary because that means you're not growing. You'll just watch years of your life go away without any new experiences. And so for me, that hunger to seek out those new experiences, it's a big reason why I like to travel. Um, that really was what drove me to to come to America. So that's certainly, I think, what I try to embody when when people ask me, who are you? I say I'm a risk taker and I want other people to be risk takers as well because I think a lot of people play small or they play for comfort rather than uh, trying to to test what they're truly capable of. Because when you do that, either A, you're successful and it's successful, great wonderful, that's a win. Or if it doesn't succeed, it's a failure. You learn from it. And more importantly, it's an excellent story. That's what we, <laughs> that's what we tell each other. I mean, seriously, I, I connect with people so well when I tell stories of times I've truly messed up, like really, you know, monumentally messed up. And people laugh and they find it funny. And that builds relationships. And that's really what we're trying to do at the end of the day, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think that most people take that kind of approach. But like, but let me rewind. There were so many things that you already said that I'm like, oh, I want to talk about that, and I want to talk about that. But like, but let's 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 rewind for a minute. So we go all the way back to you get this like wild idea, which you don't think is really that wild of an idea, but all the rest of us think, oh my gosh, like you live in this amazing place. Uh, and, and I know if you live there, it's probably not as amazing as we think it is because we're not there, but you live in this amazing place and your family's there, your friends are there, your job is there. So all of these great things. And you have this like crazy idea that you're going to move to America because you're a risk taker. But it wasn't as though like that day, all of a sudden you decided, okay, I am Patrick, the risk taker ward. Like there was, there was a, a pattern that had been built. So what were some things that like led to that? I mean, were, were you known to take risks early on and I don't know, grade school? Did you like jump off the wall before everybody else? Or like in high school, did you like go bombing down the side of a mountain or did you ride in the pooch of a kangaroo <laughs> like, what what led to like to to this decision to do something like that no i love that and it's not so much physical risks i was never one to take that many physical risks but it was really mental risks and i think the best story that encapsulates this is so when i was oh i must have been about 11 or 12 years old and my parents said to me, and they gave me the, the best lesson that any parents could give. They said, we'll keep paying for your food. We'll keep paying for your housing. We'll keep paying for your education. But if you want anything outside of that, you need to go out and find the money yourself. So at the time, it was like, I think it was the iPod Classic that had just come out. And it was about $400. 
And so I needed to find a way to make money to go and do that. So I went out and became a soccer referee. And for those who don't know that soccer, particularly with the the cultural communities that are in Australia, is taken very, very seriously. Like the amount of abuse that was hurled at me for, you know, I did it for a good nine years and it just toughened me. It strengthened me to have the mental fortitude that even when others say something is wrong or something is not the way it should be, that I can stand for my own convictions. Now, it wasn't just mental strength, although I think I derived most of the benefit in mental strength. There was one time that there was a a physical element. So this one game, it was me and two other referees, and this one team was a very dirty team. I think we gave them about three red cards and five yellows during the game. And we had to be barricaded into the dressing room after the after the game because they were trying to break down the door with they had chairs they had like pickets they had all these anything they could grab their hands on trying to break down the door to get at us and eventually the cops had to be called and naturally then the people dispersed for fear of being arrested um that was when i was 13 so that was oh my gosh that was a bit of a a a scary experience as well but again it still taught me that even in the face of that level of danger you've got to still stick to some principles whatever those principles are for you because if you can't stick to your own principles then who are you as a person i mean one one quote that i like to live by is you know be yourself because you can't be a second rate version of someone else and i think that's very mm. true for all of us to to truly embrace that we are all different and that's what makes life interesting it's why we have conversations with other people and we go huh i didn't think about that issue in that way but thank you for sharing that and so there's no point molding ourselves to be something different when we are perfect by being exactly who we are and thinking exactly the way that we do. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and yeah, it's, it's interesting, right? Because I think that we all, um, m- most of us w- would agree with that statement, right? And yet there is such a struggle. I mean, w- we can jump all the way into, or, or we're going to get to it at some point anyway, but you know, w- when we look at uh, the way people behave online and the way people try and present themselves online, um, as much as, you know, we all get really excited and motivated and inspired when we hear all of these people talk about being ourselves and finding your true self and, um, you know, know your why and live by your values. And then so many people, they are either so afraid to be themselves that they do nothing or they they end up coming out and replicating what somebody else has already done, which I don't even know what's worse, right? Like what's worse to like to 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 be somebody else or to just to not do anything at all? Like I'm I'm not even sure. Uh, if I was to pick one of those two, I would say being someone else. If you're not doing anything at all, it it is sad, but it can with the right encouragement bring that person out of their shell if they're being someone else then that comes into uh, being disingenuous and therefore 
how can someone trust you? And really, when we're looking at the foundation of both personal and professional relationships, if we look at, you know, what makes two people a good partnership, what makes two businesses work together, it really is a foundation of trust. Because at the end of the day, yes, you know, you can say, oh, well, we have laws, we have contracts, we have all these sort of things to bind people together. Really, a lot of that is just superfluous. At the end of the day, if I trust you and you trust me, we will inevitably work together much more, much better, more efficiently, and ultimately, it will bring more value to both of us in the long term. Yes, yes, and and, and I like what you said there um, about that, like you know, that creation of and, and building on relationships. I put a couple words in your mouth there, but um, that that's such a wonderful thing for us to to really reiterate because as we talk about marketing uh, and you know what you do. Um, it, it is a little bit different. I mean, you do marketing within an organization that doesn't quite do that. But but that, that whole idea of marketing, right? We have always, probably most of us have always believed that marketing is like us communicating our brand to somebody else. Like it's the communication of. And while that is a component to it, ultimately marketing is about us attracting, establishing, and maintaining relationships, Right. Oh, 100%. I couldn't agree with that more. It's it's funny that, you know, there was a time in my past where certain jobs that I worked with certain industries, uh, namely insurance, <laughs> where I was being disingenuous. And I knew I was being disingenuous because I was presenting this company in a certain way that, you know, I was saying, you know, they they deliver good care, they look after you when you're sick, all these sort of things. And yet I also, on the other hand, knew the truth of they didn't pay claims on time, they defrauded certain of their clients. And that cognitive dissonance was very troubling for me. And it's interesting when I came into my current role with a mobile app developer that people started saying to me, just, you know, friends or family or e even even people on LinkedIn who'd never spoken to me before, they say, you speak with such conviction, you speak with such passion. How is that possible? And I literally just say, well, I'm, I'm not marketing, quote unquote, anymore. I'm just telling the truth. I'm just telling the true story of where I work now. And that to me was a real game changer because everyone always tells me the same things of, oh, you're marketing, you're in the business of lies, you're in the business oh. of manipulation, the business of sugarcoating. And yet the funny thing is, that's all bad marketing. The best marketing should really just stand on its own two legs because it's just telling the truth about a, a situation or a product or a service. And when you can do that, then there really isn't anything to sell. The selling is done for you. Right, right. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I 20, gosh, 21 years ago, I guess I got my first sales job. And, you know, all along the way, um, it, it, it took a long time for people to to really educate me on what selling really was, right? It wasn't about trying to trick somebody into or convince somebody to buy something. It's really about being passionate enough to communicate the value that you 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 are 
convinced you can provide to somebody to, you know, to help them with whatever issue that they're having or opportunity they're trying to create. And, and yet it gets a bad name for the same reasons, right? Because people have kind of taken it, they've bastardized it, they've gotten greedy with it. And so they've done a disservice to something that at its root, you know, foundation is really, really good. Oh, a hundred percent. I mean, it's, it's funny that these these people who've who've shifted uh you know and that's really when it comes into the the buzzwords when it comes into mindsets like always be closing it's like well no let's not always be closing let's how about we always be adding value and building our relationships and i i know this specifically as someone who finds it very difficult to sell like i it's just so antithetical to my nature that I prefer just to communicate. I'll give you a cl- classic example. So right now we're doing, uh, we're building an app for the company that I worked for previously, and there was no sell to it. It was literally on my last day. My boss brought me into his office and said, "Hey, where are you going?" And I said, "A mobile app developer." He said, "We need a mobile app." And then, sure enough, you know, a couple of months of discussions went by. And we signed a deal. Not once did I have to sell him on anything because he said it himself. Well, I trust you, Patrick. So therefore, I know that you guys will do a good job. And that's really as simple as it can be at the end of the day. Yeah. And okay. So, so you, so you know that you, you believe that to be the case. And so why then do you think people struggle so bad to adhere to that? I think it really comes down to frameworks and this kind of ties into why do people operate in a certain way they operate in a certain way because they're told and through certain forms of conditioning as they grow up now you know when you're a child it's notably your parents then after that it becomes society then it becomes school then it becomes you know workplace then it becomes the market, whatever it is, all these forces around you are telling you that the world is a certain way. And I think that the struggle that we all have is we all internalize that because it all seems so much bigger than ourselves. Whereas the fact is, all of that is is mutable. It's all changeable because let's go back a hundred and something years to the industrial revolution. People were working 18 hour days for six days a week. Now we're in the era where people say, or people used to say nine to five for 40 hours a week. Now we're moving into a slightly different stage where you're seeing a a much bigger rise in entrepreneurship as people have become disenfranchised with the idea of a nine to five. So all of these ideas about the world, all these concepts we have about the world are not set in stone. And I think when you've got that framework that all these ideas change, you need to go back to the fundamentals. And where do the fundamentals start? The fundamentals start with our own selves and our own moral compass. Now, I'm not telling anyone what that moral compass should be, but I think everyone needs to find the time to do that self-work in order to figure out what do they value, what do they care about, and therefore what should they prioritize in their life. And I think this is something that a lot of us 
just go through the motions. You know, we go through the motions of, oh, go to school, get a good job, buy a house, yada, yada, yada. And that doesn't actually serve us because, yes, some people might want that, but other people might want something else. And if you don't take the time to look inside yourself and accept all the parts of yourself, the good and the bad, then you're not going to reach a level in your life where you're fulfilled, where you're content with how exactly you're living your life. And this is very problematic, I think, also with social media is that because social media, on the one hand, it provides access to like-minded people, which is great. On the other hand, it does give a, a virtual megaphone, if you will, to people saying, you need to live your life in this exact way. And what I tell people is take that all with a grain of salt but work out what it is exactly you want to do. Because know that everyone, when they're putting out those messages or live this certain way, they they have an agenda behind that. And you should really not be listening to their agenda. You should be listening to your own agenda. Well, yeah. And, and you know, and, and back to what you said about, you know, this desire that people have to, to go to school, to get a good job, to buy a house, to get married, to have a couple of kids, you know, whatever, like even that, right. It's been ingrained into us that, that we must achieve. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, like I, I am a, a very disciplined performer. Like I love goals and I love chasing new opportunities and I want to achieve things in my life and I want my kids to, and clients come to me and hire me to coach them, to help them do that. And so I'm not saying those are bad things, but those become the primary things that our life centers around. And so then everything is about achievement, which then produces in us this desire to hurry up and achieve which means then we can set aside or we do tend to set aside our values or the things that are important to us, ethics and morals, because we need to get to something really, really quickly. Right. I mean, even in a, in an organization, um, I see this a lot when I work with uh, sales teams is, you know, uh, an organization will hire on a salesperson and want them to produce right away. And, and, and that, unfortunately produces using the same word that produces a a a, a, a typically bad behavior or bad action or uh, or a sense of like i i need to abandon kind of what i'm comfortable with or what i think because i just need to do what's being asked of me and so it's just this it's this mess that's created and i think it's all created because our life revolves around achieving i i couldn't agree more. I really like the way you put that because, and not only by doing that, but you come back to the classic adage of enjoy the journey, not the destination. If you're so hell bent on uh, achieving, then you're not going to be happy until you achieve. And then you'll achieve and then you'll be focused on the next one. You're always going to be looking forward, which is great. You're progressing, but at the same time, you're not enjoying the ups and downs of life as they come. And really, if we're really looking at a core part of why we're here and you know what we're meant to do, if we're living fulfilling, happy lives for ourselves, but also for those we care about, that's a really good thing. That's an important thing. And we sh- should value that. Um, it's interesting that you say that because I want to dovetail into 
what a, a component of myself that I that I struggled with for a long time. So Elizabeth Gilbert, the writer of Eat, Pray, Love, she divides the world into jackhammers and hummingbirds. And jackhammers are people who can go 100% for their goal, you know, 10,000 hour rule type thing. They just, they know exactly what they want to do and they go for it. You know, I had a friend who wanted to be a pilot since he was like four years old. So then he went to pilot school and now I see photos of him on Instagram, you know, up in the clouds. Great. That's fantastic. But I was never that. I was always a hummingbird. You know, I can do marketing for all these different industries. I've also got an interest in words. I also do a bit of travel. You know, there's all these different components to me and I like doing all of them and I lean into those and I'll take lessons from one and apply it to another. Now, for the longest time, I actually thought there was something wrong with me for that. I thought hmm. that I saw these people around me that had a clear goal where they were directing themselves towards and that's what I needed to be. And I equated that, funnily enough, with my self-concept of what it meant to be a man. And it's only through taking the time to do some wow. self-work and evaluation that I realized, no, Patrick, you are still a man. You still have value to bring to this world and you can still... 100% embrace your hummingbird nature. And through this cross-pollination is what Elizabeth calls it, of different industries and different people and, and all these connections you bridge, that is the value that you are bringing to this world. Wow. That, I mean, that was extremely powerful. Thank you for, you know, for sharing that. And, and, and I think that that is just, those types of things are so critical for human beings to hear. I think there is, um, uh, even more importance at times for guys to hear things like that, because, um, you know, we can just be, we can be shot down so quickly, right. And everything begins to call into question, uh, our manhood, and so, yeah, I mean, that is just, uh, that's, that's amazing that you, you've been able to step through, you know, at least that part of your journey uh, with an experience like that. And, and which goes to even what you just, what you said earlier about, you know, uh, oftentimes we're, we're missing uh, the journey, right? You, you know, it's, it's, it's the journey that is, that we're, we should really be paying most attention to. And yet um, we, we miss it all too often because we're just looking ahead to the finish line and, and you took so much from your journey. So that is just, that's fantastic that you were able to do that. Oh, completely. It's by, by being able to have that level of presence in those moments with people, you're ultimately sharing something more powerful. And ultimately that is how you gain happiness. It's not a case of, I'll get this achievement and therefore I'll be happy. It's it's really an attitude, an attitude that you bring to everything that you do in your life. And I don't mean this to diminish anyone who doesn't feel happy at a certain point in time. Hey, I've I've been through those times. I've been through some some truly harrowing times, I would say. And it's funny, but through that, I gain further appreciation and gratitude of what I do have and therefore are conscious of the times that, no, this is a, this is a wonderful time that I'm sharing with, with people I care about. I, you know, even something as simple as last Christmas, uh, 
obviously I my family was back in Australia and I was living in this house with a lot of other people from from overseas so they also didn't have family and so what we did was we all cooked various different dishes from our homeland and came together on Christmas Eve to all eat together and it just created this very family sense and I remember just sitting there with these people you know from literally all four corners of the world and just being incredibly grateful because even though none of us had our family there we'd created a sense of family yeah off of my original question i mean we haven't even left australia yet (laughs) (laughs) um and obviously you've you've spoken to things that that have happened to you since you've been there but or since you've been here and obviously and left there but i think about um what it takes for somebody then to to step into this new environment um which again you did you know anybody when you came here i had uh, a couple of friends on the east coast because i'd spent uh 6 months at george washington university um and then I'd also studied here in UCLA, but the funny thing about the UCLA program was that was with other students from my home university. So I didn't actually know many people on the West Coast when I came here. Wow. Okay, so you you step into this brand new place. You really know anybody. You don't know anybody here. Thankfully, you didn't go back to the East Coast because that's the East Coast and the West Coast is just better. So you, so you, you show up here and what, you, do you have to go find a job? Did you have something lined up or ahead of time? Like, how did that work? Well, I didn't have anything lined up. Uh, I had, I still had my uh, copywriting job. It was very, maybe like one or two days a week remote work. Um, but by no means was that going to uh pay for everything. I think I came with about $10,000 in savings and that went within a month. And then sure enough, we were getting we we're getting pretty close to to the point where I knew if I didn't find a job soon, I was probably going to have to to pack it up or, you know, find something as simple as being a waiter or something like that. Uh but sure enough, I I took a a an interview with a woman by the name of Sarah Gosler uh, at a financial company. And, you know, most of the interviews up till this point had been distrustful of my uh, uh, Australian experience, both in terms of my work experience and also the university. Uh, I was very fortunate that I'd interned at uh, an advertising agency in LA the first time I studied in um, Los Angeles. And so she saw that, she gave that credibility. She also saw that I'd done a semester at UCLA. She gave that credibility. But apart from that, she didn't really have much else to go on, but she gave me a chance. And um, I you know, I certainly hope that I proved her right. Um, she was a, a great mentor to me. She, I remember within one month, she gave me a, a project to completely redesign one of our fintech subsidiary websites and she just said i trust you go and do it so i went out i sourced the vendors i managed the project from start to finish uh and then 
obviously the final launch and subsequent to the launch, uh, we saw an uptick in 20% of website traffic. So that was something like I had, you know, no experience with that. I'd just been a, a writer up until that point. Uh, but she empowered me as, as good leaders do to go out, figure out, you know, solutions to the problem and, um, come to the table with with something that was elegant and and suited the needs of of that fintech subsidiary and funnily enough the 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 president of that uh was was so grateful that he actually came out to LA and took us all to Halloween Horror Nights uh as a thank you gift um which was just just wonderful um except you thought to yourself just, what the hell are these Americans doing to themselves um but yeah that that sort of level of 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 trust um and that was that was a rare experience because i mean by the at this time i'd already held 10 or so different jobs in various different industries all through out you know college to again make make ends meet and you know make money for myself so i could fund a lot of these trips um because my parents weren't giving me any money and and, and nor should they have because again it fostered that sense of independence mm-hmm. um but i'd never quite experienced that level of camaraderie in a team and we were all very very close in fact two of two of my friends um, two of my closest friends uh, still came from that first job in that finance company. And even though all three of us are now in different places, um, we're still um, just as close. And that that was surprising because I didn't expect that you could have those level of relationships. Um, but it goes to show that if you if you put enough trust in one another, um, and really care about each other. You can you can build some some real lifelong relationships. Okay, so so those two words are magic words, right? In in the world of sales and marketing, um, and so you, you talk about you know putting enough trust into each other, and and that takes time, right? And that takes some vulnerability. That takes a deep sense of responsibility when when you understand that somebody's building trust into you, um, which goes back to this whole idea of marketing, right? I mean, it's it's building that relationship, it's building that sense of trust, and 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 we get that in the in the personal world. We understand that the the best relationships we have uh, personally are ones that we deeply know each other that we deeply trust each other that we deeply like and or love each other and so we get that so well and yet most you know many people abandon that idea when it goes back into business because why the heck would i waste my time doing that when i just need to go make a sale yeah and i think really what that speaks to is almost people and i'll i'll, I'll answer that by using another analogy of marketers often fall into a trap of they speak so genuinely with other people and then when they go to work they put on their marketing hat and then they start crafting messaging that doesn't relate to anyone and so by the same token i think that's the problem we often have in business that people come in putting on their quote unquote 
business hat, their capitalist hat, whatever it is, that, like you say, I just need to make the sale, I just need to make money without thinking the long game. And this, I mean, this is encouraged from up above. And I always say we need more leaders, we don't need more managers. We often have uh, in the corporate world a lot of managers who don't put enough trust in their employees to do what is right for the company and therefore for everyone. And they're just insistent on micromanaging every little interaction, every little detail that that employee does, which only stifles that employee. It stifles their creativity and it stifles their autonomy. People want to feel that you trust them enough to do what is right. And if you do that, you will be repaid with trust in return. And so I think that in order to get that transcendence into, like you say, to that level where we can bring these relationship building, uh, you know, tactics, systems, whatever you want to call it, into the business world, we need to start with leaders that allow the employees to do that. And it can be very scary. I respect it for business leaders because if you're always hustling for a sale, maybe in the short term you'll get a couple of sales and then that'll make you, that'll reinforce it in your own mind. But if you play the longer game, maybe it takes a little bit longer to generate that revenue, but you'll generate much more revenue over the course of your entire business. But that takes a bold leader, a bold leader who can give their employees that runway. Yeah, and and I think that, you know, again, this is, you know, from my own experience as an employee, but then also uh, at times that I've gone in to consult or coach businesses, and I feel like there's this mentality in business where uh, leaders or managers, um, they they want their employee to go first. Right. So like they hire somebody brand new into the organization. And from day one, that person is expected, that employee is expected to trust the leader, the manager and the organization 100 percent without any question. But then on the flip side, both in the way that they're communicated to, but, uh, you know, verbally, but then also in how they're treated, there's almost zero trust other than maybe some false sense of like, I kind of want to believe in you, but I'm not sure yet trust. Like there's very little trust put into that employee from day one outside of just the responsibility to do the task that's before them. And even that's questionable at times. And I feel like if organizations did a better job of, I don't want to say blind trust, but, but really extending trust to that, that new employee from day one, I think that they would produce such a better result. And I'm sure that if an organization's listening to this, they're saying, well, how am I going to do that with a brand new employee? And then, you know, that goes to like, well, are you doing a good enough job recruiting and interviewing and hiring people that you can actually do that? Or are you just trying to put butts in the seats? So, you know, that, that, that's a component. I don't think that leaders train in this area very much. I don't think that leaders train on um, better ways to lead like that. I think that uh, they're they're constantly focusing on how to to measure and how to micromanage, even though again they wouldn't use that word. Like I just think it's so backwards at the organizational level that some of these employees never have a chance to get going because they just have zero trust put into them. A hundred percent and. I think that also goes, I like how you say 
leaders are not trained on it. It comes back to EQ, emotional intelligence, and that's so important for a leader to have far more than any of the the semantics or the you know the 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 tactics that they need to put in at the end of the day a leader is leading people and so you need to fundamentally understand people and understand what helps them to do their best to operate at their best what helps them to be motivated and at the same time like you say giving them the compassion the empathy, the trust, even from an early stage so that that employee feels valued from day one. So they're going to go into battle for you no matter what because you've shown them, hey, we recruited you because you are the best person for this job and we trust you to deliver for us, for everyone. Yep. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's... It, you know, compensation, benefits, um, perks, uh, a brand new, I don't know, cell phone or computer or company t-shirt, like all those things are really cool to show up on a new employee's desk on day one. And I think that those can be extensions of ways that they can demonstrate care and concern for people. Um, but even then, I think that as and we've seen the software and tech industry uh, be better at this probably than most that they're investing into things like that to make people feel welcome on day one. I still think that and I'm not I don't even know the answer to this, but I still think that there's a big missing component in most organizations to demonstrate and extend care and consideration for the person, as you said, um, uh, versus the practicality of what goes into the job and making sure that they feel like they like their job, right? Like, I, I want you to know from day one that you care about me uh, as best as you can, you know, with the level that you know me. And then every single day, I want to see you investing into me as a person um, outside of like the, the hard skills and tools that are necessary for me to do my job better. Totally. And it's so ethereal. It's so it's even hard as an employee to quite put your finger on what that is, but when it's there, it really is there. I'll give you an example. Uh, what was it? About a month ago, I had a recruiter come into my inbox, uh, offer me a position that paid 25% more than what I'm currently making, and without hesitation, I said no. And she was like, what? It's And she knew because of my previous uh, time being recruited of how much I was making. It's like, but it's this much more money. And I said, I don't care. I have a work environment where I'm valued with literally a family. I, I don't even consider them co-workers. I literally consider everyone here on my team part of my family because that's how close we are. And you can't replicate that. So why would I go for something else when this is fulfilling me in, in such a tangible way? That is a very difficult environment to create, but when organizations can create it, you'll, you'll have employee loyalty for, for years. A absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, we, uh, you know, most of us would get this uh, again, as it relates to like personal relationships, whether that's like your best friend, right? You just know, like you get to this place that that person's gone to some crazy extent for you. And you're like, okay, you know, that, that person is my best friend or a spouse. Um, you know, there's that kind of like, you just know when you know, and there's nothing that they did. I mean, maybe there's, you know, some practical things that they've done along the way, but there's nothing that they did that all of a sudden it was like, oh my gosh, now I know that's the person. Like when you really know 
would you just know? And so I love that you said that. And, and, and again, I think that maybe there are things that over time we'll be able to identify as, as marker points for that. But in the meantime, I just, I, I really hope that organizations, leaders, whether that's, you know, a leader of a, you know, a, a you know, 10,000 employees or, or one other employee, like be a place that people love to be at, that people love to come to. Like, I hate hearing when people dread going into work on Mondays and beg for Friday to afternoon to get there. Like, I understand you want to go home, you want to have fun. That's fine. But when they dread coming to work, like that's just terrible. And I think that that's the majority of organizations across this country. Oh, easily the majority. I, I finally enough often espouse, I'm glad you said that, espouse the loving coming in to work on Monday. And someone once asked me, uh, a friend of mine, why do you love coming in on Mondays? It's like, because I get to see all my friends at work. Huh. And, you know, I've missed them for the last two days, you know, over the weekend. That's literally, a, and if you can feel that, if you can, as an organization can create that, I mean, wow, like the you know that you'll have people that are willing to do what it takes because you've mobilized them, not just even around a vision and mission. I mean, trust me, vision and mission are very important, but that's a fraction of what culture is. And really the most important thing for me about organizational culture is how do those employees feel every single day that they come in? If they can feel happy, fulfilled, valued, every single day and that's a very high bar to aim for and like you say most organizations in this country don't get it but if you can do that you will achieve an enormous impact yeah and you know when when you start talking about this with organizations you know they push back immediately say like you know well you know turnover is you know high everywhere now and the millennial generation is just jumping from job to job to job and and you know I'm just like that that's just that's crap that is just such crap when people like they use every excuse I understand that we're always going to have those issues and those challenges to face but your story at your company right now is a perfect example of the fact that if you are willing as a leader, as a business owner to invest into your organization, to your people, into your processes, into your product or service, if you're willing to invest the time, and again, this is a long game, right? This doesn't happen overnight. Like if you're willing to do that, you will reap the benefits. And like the cost of turning over an employee is significantly higher than just paying somebody a little bit more or investing into some other things that they appreciate and love. And yet they're just so short-sighted. They, ne they never want to look at that stuff. Rarely do they. No, they, they often think and they often lead with salary. That's the funny thing, right? Is leading with salary rather than leading with culture and vision and mission. And and I, I've seen this in the interview process, you know, even as a prospective employee asking, what is your vision? What is your mission? What is your culture? A lot of organizations give a very generic, you know, response. And that doesn't make me trust in what they're delivering. They just sort of say, oh, you know, we're flexible, we're fun. We like, you know, doing hard work. It's like, have something tangible that you can point to. The funny thing is when I started at Dogtown, I didn't just get interviewed by 
a hiring manager. I didn't even just get interviewed by my current boss, who is the CEO. I actually got to be interviewed and also by extension interview back fellow employees that I would be working with on a day-to-day. The fact that they actually spent the time now, some people might go, oh, well, meeting with eight different people, was, wasn't that you know hard and taxing? Well, no, because as much as they're figuring out whether I'm a good fit for them, I'm figuring out whether they're a good fit for me. I think too many people put themselves in a position of almost subjugation that, oh, well, I should be so lucky to receive this job. No, you are valuable. You have skills that are valuable to organizations. And therefore, you shouldn't just go for the one that offers you a job or offers you the right amount of money. You need to go for the organizations that really resonate with you and your values because that is really, to your earlier point of why do millennials job hop, they job hop because these organizations aren't catering to those needs because millennials are not simply satisfied with, oh, well, there's a paycheck and you know you can put your bum on your seat for nine to five for five days a week and there you go. They want something more. Right, right. And, and you know, it's funny because, <clears throat> man, we could go off on this tangent forever because I get so frustrated when people start bagging on millennial people. And I mean, they're half my age, so I'm not defending my own generation by any means. But it's like, you know, they, you know, they go, oh, you know, they want that, you know, I, I get it. You know, they, they really want to be somewhere that, that, that believes in their cause or that matters to them. And so then they put all these like crappy um, programs into place to like, you know, to get them to like feel good about themselves. And it doesn't matter either, right? They still hate their job every single day. Now just they can donate to their favorite charity because they gave them a platform to do that. It's like, what garbage? Oh, you, you can't just throw a couple of like tidbits their way and expect that to do. You've got to go the holistic organization. Um, I think those little things that they get thrown at, that's almost like an organizational equivalent of uh, CSR, corporate social responsibility, where you get these organizations that, you know, say, oh, look, we're doing this little bit of good here, but the rest of our organization is still the same as it's always been. And that's the thing. Organizations need to know that you don't need to appeal to every single type of worker. If you're trying to speak to everyone, you speak to no one. So you just focus in on who are the ideal employees that would work for your company and do those employees value the same value system that you do? And if that's aligned, if you can get that all aligned, then your organization is going to be better for it. It's going to be more sustainable for it. And ultimately, you'll see better success, both in terms of your internal you know, happiness and morale of your employees, but also financially. Because at the end of the day, who are the people that are really selling your company and your products and services. Now, I always get told, oh, well, that's marketing's job. But I'll be the first to tell you, well, yes, marketing certainly is on the front line of it. But at the end of the day, it's those employees out there, when they have conversations with other people, you better hope that they're having conversations that are positive about your organization rather than negative. Because if they're having positive conversations, that's the best word of mouth advertising you can ever get. Absolutely. I mean, 
you know, uh, you know, kind of, you know, first full circle back into business marketing. I mean, this is one thing that I'm trying to convince more and more organizations to in I don't know. They just don't seem to be listening. Either I'm a terrible communicator and I've been lying to myself for years and years, or they're just not listening. But they have, you know, two, 10, 40, 500, 50,000 opportunities to communicate their message to the marketplace on a daily basis through their employees. And if they would invest half of the time and money into their employees and building their brands and building up their um, d- the, you know, internal desire and motivation to, to communicate the message to the marketplace as they do to um, you know, uh, social media and uh, email marketing and print marketing and, you know, TV advertising, whatever, like those are all great things, but like they put all of their marketing stakes, you know, into that and, and little to nothing into the people that could be way more effective if they were just to invest into them. No, absolutely. You're a hundred percent right because your employees are your number one brand advocates. Like that is just fact. Um, and it's the same. I'm glad you mentioned at the very start about getting people on LinkedIn so when I came into this organization at Dogtown, they asked me which social media platform were we going to go with? I said, we're going to go with LinkedIn. And they were like, why? It's like, well, one, we're in the B2B space, so it makes sense for us to go to a professional network. But two, it's because every single employee here can have a very strong brand on LinkedIn and therefore they're communicating that those messages about Dogtown through that platform and slowly through, you know, educating them on best practices. I've seen the the uptick in activity, but that's the point. It's that there is always going to be more trust in a person than there is in a corporate account. And mm-hmm. I saw this, I, I like the stats just back this up time and time again. I put out a post on my own personal LinkedIn and it'll get 10 times the engagement of one that goes out on our corporate account. And that just happens time and time again. Because of course, we don't connect with corporations. We connect with people first and then we're interested in the corporation they represent. Yep. Yep. And I mean, nowadays, right, I, there's definitely a few big brands out there that that we buy the brand, right? They At this point, some of them could produce garbage and we would probably still buy it. But by and large, most of the businesses that we interact with on a daily basis, whether that's the B2B sale or even the B2C sale, most of them, we don't really care about the brand that much. But if if we're deeply connected to, interested in the people, like you said, uh, your uh, a former employer was of you that that no matter where that person goes or what they do, the the consumer will continue to buy from them because it's the person that they have established the relationship with, and they just know that that person will always be out for their best. Oh, a hundred percent. That was literally what um, my previous company was thinking. It was well, we know Patrick. We know Patrick would go to a responsible, good company. And therefore, that trust then flows on. But that's why they trusted that Dogtown could deliver, not because they knew anything particularly about Dogtown, but they knew me, like you say. That's all what it came down to. Down to. It literally, and when we were pitching the app, here's a funny thing about price, is that our price came in significantly higher than the competitor, but 
again, it wasn't a factor because at the end of the day, they wanted, well, I trust you, Patrick, and I know that you will deliver the best for us. And then when you can communicate that, then price isn't even an obstacle. Okay, so as we're talking about LinkedIn, you know, uh, uh, one of the things that I've seen you invest some time into lately is video, and you've been using this hashtag and kind of coined this term, uh, words with Ward. So what was the inspiration behind that for you, uh, and, and how's that gone? Yeah, so the reason I came up with words with Ward, uh, well, the name itself is alliteration, which like any good marketer, I, I love a bit of alliteration. Um, but the the concept itself uh, comes back to uh, my writing days. So it was the first commercial job, I guess you would call it. I've, I've obviously had many other jobs before that, but the first commercial job I had was as a copywriter. And what I really like about words is three things. They influence how we think about ourselves, they influence how we think about the world, and they influence how others think about us. And I think there's just there's always been so many examples that I can point to, particularly during my career, of certain words that people use that maybe they should use more of and certain words they should not use as much. And I was just sort of thinking of this and the classic one that came into my mind was just. So just when used in uh, particularly corporate email communication is often used as a passive qualifier. So just wanted to get your feedback or just wondering if you saw my last email or something like that. And the problem is, is when you use those types of words, you actually end up sounding less sure of yourself and less confident. And the fact is, everyone is an expert in something. Everyone has value to bring. And so use words that support your message, empower your message, rather than detract from your message. So as I was going from that, I thought, well, that's my thoughts. I wonder what other people's thoughts are. And that's always been something that I've liked. It's the reason I'm in marketing, the the level of collaboration you can have with multiple different people, both inside and outside your organization. And so it just became a natural fit um, of being able to reach out to people, start conversations with them. And it it's really come to the fore on LinkedIn just to really provoke some some good quality discussion around the idea of what words do people like to use? What words do they not like? And I've got some really interesting answers. I mean, some of the usual suspects come up. People like can, people don't like can't. Uh, people like words like try. Try is an interesting one. Some people love try. Some people don't like it because they prefer do. And so through this, what I'm hoping is that people will become more conscious of the words that they use and therefore will be able to better support themselves and their own personal brands as they communicate their message, not just about their organizations, but about themselves. And funnily enough, it's kind of also snowballed into something else of as I've been doing this video series, I've almost crafted the content for a book. Um, I've always wanted to write a book, but again, like many one, many people who say they want to write a book don't actually get on and do it. But this has actually given me a format to go, okay, now I've got a structure I can work with. Now I've got some content I can 
put into this book. And now I'm actually part of a, a group on LinkedIn that we're all keeping ourselves accountable to writing a book in 2019. Wow, that's fantastic. And and you met all those people through LinkedIn? All through LinkedIn. I, the amount of people, truly inspiring people I meet through LinkedIn every single day is just incredible. I mean, I get a lot of flack in the office about it, but I just really do love this platform. Uh, I just came from New York City, uh, where I went to an event hosted by Richard Moore, who is a sales coach out of the UK. And uh, I went to his event because I'd been following his stuff on LinkedIn. I asked him, when are you having your event series in America? He said, well, I have one in San Francisco in June. I was like, eh, that's a bit late. Do you have anything sooner? He said, I have New York in January. I said, great, I'll see you there. He, was, he said to me, really? You do that? I was like, of course. That's just like, let's do that. That's, that's an exciting thing. I get to meet up with you wonderful people in person. And that's really the power of the network. I mean, really, LinkedIn connects us all over the planet, but it's really when we can take it offline, whether we can have like phone calls like this or video calls or even meeting up in person, that's the real power of the network. It is. And, and I know that there are a lot of people right now on the platform advocating for taking these relationships offline and you know bringing them into some sort of personal relationship. Obviously, that's an overwhelming task. But I think that as we continue to develop these relationships, we can get better about picking and choosing the ones that we feel we can contribute the most value to. And rightfully so, the ones that we will receive the most value from, because, you know, that's something that that we want to continue to strive for, right, is that we're, we're having that exchange of value back and forth through these relationships that we're building. Oh, 100%. And I think that's, that's really where LinkedIn is surging ahead of some of the other platforms where other other platforms are tarnished with either you know, algorithms that support fake accounts or something like Twitter, which tends to lead into you know people hurling insults back and forth. What I've noticed, at least of the community, and I know that there are exceptions, but I, at least of the community that I've been involved with on LinkedIn, it's all been very positive. It's all been very intelligent discussion about really complex ideas. And I just can't thank them enough for the amount that I learn and share with other people every single day. Yeah, no, I agree. <clears throat> well, I mean, I think that's a good place to wrap. I mean, I think that um, we, I learned a lot about you today that I didn't know. I love you know this idea. I'm always now going to remember you as the risk taker. So when I hear some crazy idea, I'm always going to throw it your way to see how crazy it really is. <laughs> <laughs> never know, never know what you may end up doing. Um, so that was, you know, that was fantastic for me. Uh, you know, you sharing your story about how much culture in an organization matters to you and what real culture feels like uh, versus what I think a lot of us um, have been led to believe it is. Um, the 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 conversation that we had going back and forth, which was really just weaving in and out of personal relationship and then a business relationship, which is really at the end of the day, marketing on both sides of the spectrum. I just, I loved that with you. Um, I knew before, but now we know more than ever that words really matter to you, which I think that they should. And uh, so my encouragement, uh, you know, to anybody that's listening today is definitely to connect with Patrick. I'll make sure to share all of uh, his contact information in the show notes. Uh, you can follow, connect with him on LinkedIn. Definitely. I'm sure you can follow the hashtag uh, words with Ward. That's W-O-R-D-S 
W-I-T-H-W-A-R-D, correct? Yep, that's correct. Got that. So you can follow <laughs> that. Uh, can follow along in those videos, contribute to those conversations. One thing that I, I love about you, Patrick, is you are very engaged into people that are engaged with you, which just produces wonderful conversations. I'm sure that's why you're reaping such fruit from uh, from all of that. And so I just want to say I appreciate you, uh, both your connection uh, that we initially had virtually, but then at uh, times like this today, I've learned so much. You've contributed so much to me personally, but then also to everybody listening. So again, thank you so much for the time you took today. Uh, Thank you, Ryan. I mean, I I really love what you do with this podcast. And I really love that the content that you're putting out is always trying to help people move forward and lead better lives. So thank you, Ryan. Well, we're going to run that race together, buddy, as best as we can. Sounds good to me. All right, everybody. Well, that wraps up another episode of the Excellence Mindset Podcast. As always, thank you so much for taking time to listen today. I appreciate any feedback you have. You want to share that on iTunes by way of a um, a review. That's great. If you want to reach out to me directly, you can do so. And as I stated just a few minutes ago, you can be sure to reach out to Patrick. I will put his information into the show notes. And until then, get out there, do your best and crush it. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Excellence Mindset with Ryan James Miller. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave a review and subscribe. And for more great content and to stay up to date, visit ryanjamesmiller.com. We'll catch you next time.